Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Justin Catches. And I'm Stephen Avila. So it is really cold out today, but that is clearly not stopping Stephen from enjoying this pint of ice cream. Mm, oh yeah. yeah, I can have ice cream any time of the year. Same, and that's why we're excited to have Stern alum Diana Hardiman on the show today. Diana is the founder and CEO of Milkmaid Ice Cream. Milkmaid is a craft ice cream company that delivers an inspired ice cream, or scream as she calls it, experience in every pint. Yeah, that's right. Milkmaid was launched in 2009, right after Diana graduated from Stern. One of the coolest things about Milkmaid is their membership program. Every month, you can have two original flavors delivered straight to your door. Oh man, I'm already craving some scream. Hand it over, Steven. It's mine. But before we jump in, we are also joined in the studio by Alexa Parsons, who helped produce today's show. Alexa, thank you so much for your hard work, and welcome to the Stern Chats team. Thanks so much, Justin and Steven. I'm thrilled to be producing my first Stern Chats episode and was so excited that it was all about Stern and ice cream, a new and old love of mine. It was really fun to work on this and learn more about Milkmaid Ice Cream. Her focus on natural ingredients and how they create the best flavors is super interesting. Diana is truly an inspired businesswoman. Her idea for Milkmaid was born out of the lack of interesting flavors at her local bodega, and now she has hundreds of subscribers. Talk about perseverance. I can't wait to hear more. Mm, me neither. And for our listeners out there, you can find out more about Milkmaid at www.milkmaidicecream.com. That's spelled M-I-L-K-M-A-D-E icecream.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Milkmaid or go visit them at their tasting room in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Oh yeah, I will definitely be making the trip. Steven, are you ready to start the episode? Pass me another pint. Cue that music. University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Stephen Avila. And I'm Justin Catches. And today we are excited to have Stern alum Diana Hardiman, who is the founder and CEO of Milkmaid Ice Cream. Diana, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Diana, we are so excited to hear your story. But before we do that, can you introduce yourselves to our audience? Yes. Uh, my name is Diana Hardiman. I am a Stern alum from 2007 to 2009, and I am the founder of Milkmaid. Milkmaid is a craft ice cream company located in Brooklyn. We originally started as a direct-to-consumer membership service. Um, we make all of our ice cream from scratch using the only the best local ingredients, and we hand-deliver them to customers around the city. Um, we now have a shop in Brooklyn. We ship nationwide, and um, we continue to do our membership as well. Amazing. So we have ice cream. You're a Stern alum. You have an impressive background that's diverse and interesting in so many ways. Um, be curious to know, you know, if we were to take the start of your story, what were you doing before Stern, before you, you got here to school? Um, before Stern, I worked for really just a year and a half um, out of college as a financial consultant for healthcare companies. Okay. Um, I came to Stern kind of not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but thinking I would pursue healthcare. And were you on the East Coast or did you grow up elsewhere? I grew up in California. Where about? Uh, I grew up in Orange County and I got my undergrad up north at Berkeley. Oh, wow. So you went from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast. I did, but as a consultant, I was um, afforded the luxury 
I viewed it that way, of living in different cities around the country, but had never made it to the Northeast um, at the at that company. So I thought, well, I've always wanted to live in New York, um, and Stern accepted me, and so I came. Amazing. As a fellow California transplant living in New York, I hey. resonate with that story. <laughs> Uh, what was your transition like moving to New York City? You know, walk us through your process of coming to Stern. Oh, um, it was very easy, I will okay. say. I found it, an apartment, my very first apartment that I looked at. What? I got it. Time out. <laughs> yeah. Time out. <laughs> Who's your realtor? I need a number. <laughs> I didn't even have one. I just happened to get lucky. Wow. Um, so I really had a smooth transition. I had friends who were already living here. Um, I myself in, am adventurous and very open to new experiences, so was really ready to just take on New York. And that kind of attitude, did that come from how you were brought up, your family, siblings? Um, I'm not sure. You know, sometimes my parents are like, where did you get this, you know, adventure, adventuresomeness from? Um, but we, growing up, I explored a lot. We did travel, and I was exposed to a lot of new things. But there was some some ambition within me that I don't quite know where I got it from. And has anyone else in your family gone to business school? No. Um, my father's a physician, so he was on a track. My mother is a medical technician, so she was on a track. Mm. Healthcare makes sense now. Yeah, so that's kind of why I was initially interested in the healthcare field out of college. Yeah. Interesting. So you come to Stern and you're interested in potentially pursuing uh, this field while you're uh, getting your MBA and a, a post-graduation. Uh, did anything change while you were getting your education here? Or, you know, describe your experience at school and how that may have shifted the things that you wanted to do and be a part of uh, in your life. Yeah, um, it definitely shifted. Um, actually, coming into Stern, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was 23 or something like this when I applied. Um, kind of fresh out of college still, and I just faked that I wanted to be in healthcare, you know, because I felt like you had to, you had to choose one path and say this is my passion and this is what I want to do, rather than I'm lost. I don't know. Um, so upon uh, upon entering, yeah, I was kind of interested in maybe healthcare consulting, but I explored everything. Um, my first year. It was the financial crisis, so I was very interested in what was going on. I also somehow got involved in um, the sales and trading recruiting track, which mm -hmm. was totally out of nowhere for me, but I'm so glad I did it because I really learned a lot at the time mm -hmm. um, of what was going on and, of course, didn't get an internship uh, when all the businesses were failing. Yeah, um, <laughs> how, how was recruiting at the height of the financial crisis? It was very interesting, um, but I had no experience. That might be in the understatement <laughs> of the year. <laughs> right? right? I had no experience in finance before that experience, so I, I don't have much to compare it to. But I always thought that it would be a great um, mockumentary to do um, business school students vying for internships, some sort of mockumentary about this. This sounds like a folly skit. <laughs> it does indeed. Right? Yeah. Um, so beyond just sales and trading, I was interested in consulting. I eventually kind of got interested in social enterprise, became involved in the Social Enterprise Association. While I was at Stern, I went to everything, every speaker that came, not just at, for Stern, but for NYU in total. Um, I did as much as I could and really just learned a lot. Are there any speakers that stand out in your mind? Um, or professors that were particularly in particularly influential for you? Uh, yes. Well, I the speakers, 
there were a couple. One was Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia. I saw him speak at um, an, a social enterprise association conference and just I've never I had never seen him before and he had such great stage presence. So I, I still remember that one. It's been 10 years, 12 years kind of um, since the others. Some, some professors that I thought were really um, interesting <laughs> were, and that I still kind of stick with me. One was uh, Scott Galloway for his brand class. Is he still teaching? Uh, he is, yeah. Okay. I actually just took him last semester. Oh, really? Yeah. There was something about the way that he looked at brands that was enlightening for me, and I hadn't really looked at everything that I'm surrounded by, um, brands that I'm surrounded by before taking that class and with the recognition of of strategy around brand. And I carry that now with me into my business for sure. Um, and I did think about this before coming in. And Professor Oaken, um, his entrepreneurial mm-hmm. classes, because I was always interested in entrepreneurship, but never quite sure what I would end up doing. Um, so, he's an interesting character. And he's an interesting character too. One that I appreciated. For sure. Yeah. So you show up, um, you have a consulting background, you're thinking about sales and trading or, or generally finance and, gen- you know, the finance field. Was entrepreneurship on your radar at all? Oh, definitely. Um, since I was little, I've created little side project businesses. Were you like a lemonade stand person? I definitely was. And not only that, I sold rocks. Oh, wow. I sold rocks on the... <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> I sold rocks on the corner of my neighborhood of the street that I lived on. And they were rocks that I had collected from my neighbor's yards. And then I set up a little table and I sold them back to them for a dollar per rock. Wow. And I think that day... Uh, it's a heck of a margin. <laughs> no kidding. I split it p- with my friend and we made almost $20 in that day. So I, I do remember that story of like, yeah, I guess I was kind of entrepreneurial back then. It's funny because you look at some of the, these massive brands, like these fashion brands, and they're selling rocks and like leather sleeves. Like <laughs> right? You had this idea I, yeah, far before anyone else. 30 years ago. <laughs> um and uh, in college, I explored some entrepreneurship, mostly just taking classes and whatnot. I'd mm-hmm. always thought that I wanted to start my own company. I don't know exactly where that ambition came from, um, but I never knew what it would be. And of numerous ideas I'd had over the years, I never took anything to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so even at Stern, yeah, there were a few times that I thought, well, this is an idea that I could pursue, but then I didn't. Okay, so you have these ideas percolating in the back of your mind. Uh, what led you to the job that you took right after Stern? So, um, let's see. Right after Stern, I actually didn't take a job. I was um, consulting for some some small businesses around New York City. Um, a jewelry company, a solar company, a makeup or oil business. So I didn't actually take a job initially. Um, one of those ended up offering me a full-time position. So after a few months of consulting, I ended up taking a full-time position at this solar company. Again, I had gotten involved in social enterprise. I had pursued a little bit more in renewables and thought maybe I would get involved in that industry. Took this position, um, full-time, but was still consulting on the side. And then Milkmaid started. So before you started Milkmaid, uh, 
you were consulting for a lot of these, you know, kind of a variety of different types of companies. Yeah. Was that a common path at Stern at that time? Because we see it here, right? Everyone, they're so focused on getting a job, right? You're making this huge investment at Stern. You need to have, like, your dream job coming out of it, right? It needs to pay well. It needs to be prestigious. A lot and of pressure. A lot, it's a lot of pressure, right? So was it common for people to kind of take an alternative path like you did? It, it wasn't. Um, most people, from what I perceived, came into Stern also th- looking for that big next thing, mm-hmm. um, the big career transition or the jump in their, their current path. Um, however, it was 2009 when my class graduated, so the job market was looking pl- pretty bleak. Pretty bleak, again, an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while uh, you know, a lucky few did get those positions that they sought out to when they came in, um, I knew a number of people that made it work after. They did consult. They, um, yeah, I guess most people did consult <laughs> um, for a few different businesses. So a similar kind of path as, as I had. Mm-hmm. So it was almost out of necessity it was. because of the job market that you so. were kind of flexible and, and, and figured it out. Yeah. For me personally, I hadn't committed to anything. There was nothing that I said I want to be a consultant, you know, or 100% I want to work in CPG. Mm. Um, There was nothing for me that was attractive. And I, maybe it's, I just needed a a different type of career path. It's liberating in a way, not to put yourself in a box, I guess you could say. And so you, you're, you're coming out of school, you're working at the solar company, but you have this idea for something else. And you mentioned the idea of milkmaid comes to you while you're working at this company. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be working somewhere, but having this idea, having this desire, this passion in you to do something else and and the steps you took to make that a reality. Well, my story is a little bit unique because I didn't have the idea. Um, I did not set out to start milkmaid as a business. I just started making ice cream out of my apartment because I'm crafty. I eat ice cream all the time, and I didn't like what I was eating anymore, and I thought I could make it better. Have you always made ice cream? Nope. No? So um, I've always done little crafty things. I used to make hair bows and thought I would have an Etsy store called Darshi Bows. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, we got to edit in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but, um, so I've always done little things like that. Mm -hmm. So I was moving in with my best friend. We both love ice cream and can polish off a pint easily. And one day I said, why don't we make it ourselves? We can use local ingredients. Um, We can make unique flavors. At the time, all that we were exposed to was just the pints at the bodega, a Haagen-Dazs or a a Ben & Jerry's. And for me, they they weren't interesting anymore. And I didn't think the quality was all that good. Mm. So here I was craving this thing yet I couldn't get anything that really satiated my appetite for it. Um, Just a point on that. You've mentioned local ingredients now twice. Has that always been something that you're passionate about or? um, Not until I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. Interesting. Well, not until I became an adult, I guess. Um, I think I was, became more aware of the idea of sourcing from your local community uh, that the, you know, be- I became more aware of what I was eating m- as an adult, 
rather than as a kid, just what, you know, mac whatever. and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, it slowly, and I think also my peer group, I was, um, I, again, I mentioned social enterprise. So I was with all these people that cared about stuff. And from them, I learned about, about this. So that became somewhat integral to my own lifestyle was, oh, I wanted to source local produce, you know, instead of buying something from the supermarket, I have no idea where it's from, or so source local, locally made food, um, even locally made clothing and things like this. So I think it, that came from probably my peer group here at Stern. Okay, so you, you begin making ice cream in your home as a craft, as a hobby. At what point do you, and it sounds like a friend, decide, hmm, maybe we can do something else with this beyond just spending our free time making ice cream? Yeah. So in a way, Milkmaid fell into my lap where I was um, making ice cream with my friend out of our apartment. I had the idea that it would be a fun side project. I had a few friends that were entrepreneurs um, that maybe had just launched startups or apps. And um, so I think that was kind of what drove me of like, well, I can do something too, even if it's just on the side. Um, We did put together the name of Milkmaid, but I didn't really think it was going to be a business. What what happened was I just was serving ice cream to friends and at parties. And one party that I served it at was written up in New York Magazine. And it mentioned just in... What kind of parties are you going to? <laughs> it was a cool... A friend of mine used to throw these pretty cool loft parties in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And no it was deal. like early tech crowd was there. And so people wanted to write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this was 10 years ago. So like first early early startups in New York. So the ice cream was obviously a, a big hit. So, well, sure. It, people liked it. I mean, we're serving free ice cream. Fine. I used to bring cookies to this friend's party just mm-hmm. for fun. And so I said, instead of cookies, I'll bring ice cream. Great. Question for you. Yeah. What was the first flavor you made? Peanut butter. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Because I love peanut butter ice cream. It is very hard to find. So the first thing that I ever made was a peanut butter ice cream. It, it, was, uh, it was amazing because I had created ice cream. Um, but it, I've come a long way with my, <laughs> with my peanut butter Crunchy or flavor. smooth? This was a smooth, which was the mistake because I didn't use a natural peanut butter. I used mm. just whatever at the store, Jif or, you know, something. The bodega strikes again. Yeah, bodega <laughs> strikes again. Um, and it was a little too fatty and, you know, like just not the right consistency, but still was amazing for me. Um, so... This party was written up in New York Magazine. They mentioned, oh, there were two girls serving ice cream called Milkmaid. Someone wanted to write about that for Grub Street. Um, Called me up, interviewed me. What's Grub Street, just for our listeners? Um, Grub Street is New York Magazine's um, food publication. So they called me up and interviewed me at the time. I didn't really know how press worked. I just kind of said, sure, I'll answer these questions. And I made up on the spot. Yeah, we will deliver ice cream. We'll make two flavors every month. And here's the price point. And I didn't really think it all out. But it worked. Because within a week of that being published, um, a lot of other press pieces were pulled from that. So it kind of went viral in a way. Um, and I had hundreds of people emailing in saying, I want to be a part of your exclusive ice cream club. And so I thought, 
okay, I guess I have to start an exclusive ice cream club. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. So it really came to me. Um, Now, I do not have a culinary background. Again, when I first made ice cream, it was cool, but it wasn't this amazing product. Um, But I I thought, okay, well, I've always wanted to try something. I never thought it would be ice cream. This kind of fell into my lap. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to launch a company. And so I did. So we, uh, we've we had a few entrepreneurs on the show, and one of our favorite questions to ask is, what is the story behind the name? So you mentioned you and, and your partner came up with it. Was there an iteration? Is this the first name you thought of, the last? Tell us the story behind it. Um, it was not the first name. We didn't really have a good name. We said, uh, I, I don't even remember what the ideas were. Darshi Blows? Darshi Blows? <laughs> what was it? There we go. Yeah, it was nothing. Well, Milk Mid's kind of a pun. Um, nothing quite as good as the Archie Bows. But um, it was actually a classmate at Stern. So I was hanging out with him um, having lunch. And I said, I think I'm going to start this company. I'm not sure what to call it. We're going to deliver ice cream. And he came up with the idea of Milk Maid. And he said, Milk Maid, but have it be made from milk, M-A-D-E. But you're also kind of acting like... The milkman, but mm-hmm. a, but in a you know female form. So the milkmaid. I'm like, actually, that's brilliant. Because you actually hand deliver. Because we hand these deliver pints. exactly. So it harkens this nostalgia of the old the milkman that would bring the milk. I don't know weekly. I remember that as a kid. We used to have that. that that's incredibly clever. Uh, it, it works <laughs> so well. Yeah. And so at this point, you're getting all of this interest. You're getting hundreds of emails. You're having this viral moment, this accidental company, if you will. And at what point do you realize, like, you're you're making this ice cream in your home with your partner, and you go, okay, wow, maybe this is something that we may have struck big here. Do we need to devote our full time to this? Do we need to start raising capital? You know, walk us through the infancy part of this of this stage. Um, yeah. So immediately I knew that we couldn't make ice cream out of my apartment anymore. We would have to work out of a commercial certified space in order mm-hmm. to sell the product. Um, it's one thing to make it and serve it to friends. That's fine. Um, but if we're selling something, we needed a certified space. So immediately that was the first thing that I went to figure out. I also did a lot of recipe tests. So it was a lot of kind of, um, step-by-step step of 10 iterations of a flavor until I got it right. Well, you have a lot of lucky friends, I imagine, doing <laughs> yes. the taste testing yes, for you. Yes, <laughs> that definitely was the case. There, a lot of times we had just free ice cream. Um, I personally founded the LLC. Um, I, I mean, I did everything myself. At that time, I totally bootstrapped it. I used my own money to purchase a, a small commercial ice cream machine, what little money after Stern I had, um, (laughs) and decided I would invest. And it really was not much. It was like $5,000 for that. And then because we were running a membership service, a very small at the time membership service, we received um, the money up front. So whatever we needed to buy for ingredients, we received up front. Then we could use that to um, purchase the ingredients and the packaging and whatnot and then make the product and send it out the door. It's a good business model. So it was a great business model for a very small business at the very beginning where I could get off the ground without any capital requirement. And are you still working at this point? Do you have, like, are you still working at the solar company? Um, I was, but I knew that I was going to just do this full time. 
I that. yeah, because it had come into it it showed itself to me. Um, I said, I'm gonna do this. And actually I had two friends that were working with me and I said, I'm gonna do this full time. Do you guys wanna join? Let's do it together. One of them said, no, <laughs> I have a real job. <laughs> and <laughs> the other said, oh. No, thank you would have worked as well. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. She had a real job, so she wasn't going to leave that. And um, the other one said, I'll help in a part-time capacity. Mm-hmm. And then she did stay on for a year, helped with flavor development and whatnot. And um, and then after that, pursued other career endeavors. Were these potential partners Stern alum as well, or no. how did you know these folks? Just friends from college. Cool. Yeah. So what um we we talk a lot about on the show when we speak with entrepreneurs how you pick a partner, how you pick someone to go into business with. Can you talk a little bit about what drew you to these two individuals? Oh, it was just happenstance. Yeah. I happened to be moving in with my best friend. Mm-hmm. She loves ice cream. I said, let's do this. Check. Um, <laughs> and so, so great. We did that. Then we have another best friend who actually um, knows more. She's not a chef, but she, I suppose, is a self-taught chef. She knows more about the kitchen. She cooks a lot. She has a mm-hmm. food blog. And I said, do you want to join us? So she was really the one that helped create the recipes at first because she knew what she was doing in the kitchen. I really hadn't had much experience in the kitchen at all. So it was the three of us initially. Um, And then very quickly, the the, um, culinary one stayed on um, and the other one said no. At this point of your company, what's your biggest challenge you're facing on a day-to-day basis? Is it customer acquisition? Is it creating the flavor, devoting the time? What does that look like? Um, so at this point in the business, it is being a one-woman one show. Um, and we had, um, we had existing demand that we couldn't meet. I was, again, one person. We hadn't raised much money. Um, we had, it wasn't enough to take the money from customers in advance to really do much to ha- raise capital. Um, Kickstarter wasn't a thing at the time and crowdfunding and whatnot wasn't a thing. So it was, um, struggling to, well, we have all of this interest, press and existing demand, uh, you know, newsletter list full of people that say I'm on the wait list, yet the inability to serve them. Um, because it really was just such a small operation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you were a one-woman show. Is being an entrepreneur a lonely road? Yes. <laughs> How do you handle the psychological challenge of being an entrepreneur? Um, I have been an entrepreneur now and running my business for nine years. Um, I have gone through many, many ups and downs, and some days I want to quit. I'm I'm past that hump now, but... Really, for the first five years, I think, um, there were numerous times that I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm going to quit. This next delivery is my last, <laughs> and then I'm just going to bow really? out. Yeah. Um, and then there are these real high highs where then, you know, maybe some publication picks you up or you receive some funding, and, and it's, um, it is a roller coaster. I know everyone describes it that way, but... Um, I actually describe it, it's more like a sine curve. You go up, and then, of course, anytime you're up, very soon you will be down. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't get excited that much anymore about anything that is is positive, um, but then I also don't get Mm -hmm. affected by anything that's negative because I know, okay, 
just ride it out. Soon things will turn around. Thank you for <clears throat> thank you for sharing. That's uh, that's really interesting insight and, and a good lesson for a lot lesson. of aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, ride it out. And so at this point, you're making the ice cream, you're delivering the ice cream, you're acquiring customers, you're doing it all. At what point do you begin to expand your operations, knowing that okay, I don't know if I can do this all by myself? What does that look like? Uh, it takes a long time for me to do that, and probably too long. Um, but that's just the way that it it worked out. Um, I knew that I couldn't keep producing out of a commercial kitchen because we only could get in there, you know, uh, once a month to produce this product. We had people around the country who were interested in having the ice cream shipped to them, um, expanding the membership. Even locally, we couldn't meet the demand. And um, I knew that I needed to raise some money. I, I owned one tiny machine, and that was it. And it took a really long time for me to be able to take myself away from the day-to-day -day operations and fundraise. So I did that, and that was in 2013. Yeah, end of, yeah, 2013 um, and 2014 is when I started that process. So it took, took quite a while until really it was someone said, I'll help you with the business um, and wanted to work with me for six months or so while I went out and, and did fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so 2013, I believe you had a medical issue. Yes. Do you want to share with us what that was? Sure. Um, I had a stroke. Uh, I've actually had two strokes now. One was in 2013, one was in 2016. Um, but at the end of 2013, I suffered an ischemic stroke. And at the time, we thought that it was due to a tear in my neck, a very small tear that I could have gotten from surfing because I, I surfed that day, that I could have gotten from sleeping funny on a plane and stretching my neck too far. But what happened is a clot formed, it went to my brain, and it caused a stroke, which for me meant suddenly I couldn't talk, my words were very jumbled, and the right side of my body went numb and paralyzed. It's totally out of nowhere. Wow, so this just happens to you one day. One day, <laughs> randomly, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yep. And, and I guess, how do you respond to something like that, balancing, obviously, your health, which is most important, with the responsibilities of a business and a family and all that? Um, well, I was, I, let's see, I was hospitalized for three days at that time. Um, I was very lucky for stroke. It's the number one debilitator um, in the U.S. I think it's the number four cause of death. Um, I was able to walk out of the hospital totally unscathed. Um, so speech came back, movement came back. Yep. Everything came back. Um, I was very lucky because I was in a place where actually I was with my family. And again, my father's a physician and he recognized what was going on. So I, was, I quickly got to the ER and I very quickly received the care that I needed. Not everyone is as lucky. And with stroke, it is a attack on the brain where the longer that you um, leave it untreated, the worse that it can affect you long term. But I was very lucky. So I walked out and probably um, not the right move, but within a week I was back at work. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. I was back making ice cream. No, you know, the ice cream doesn't make itself. So I was back in the kitchen and just immediately um, 
immediately just continued as normal while still kind of recovering from this. So how does this life-changing experience shift your priorities coming out of the hospital? You mentioned you go back to work, but I imagine things change for you a bit. It does. Um, you know, it's funny because I don't know that initially they changed that much. I, again, kind of thought, wow, that was a wild fluke. And then suddenly I'm back working and everything's fine. And I definitely appreciated life more <laughs> in a way. Um, but, you know, and was um, appreciative of everything around me. But of course, memory fades and mm -hmm. after time, then, okay, you're back to your normal grind. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was the idea that I'm not invincible and that I really do need to um, pay attention to my body. Not that this, not that working hard or anything had anything to do with my stroke, but just kind of take it a little bit easier. But mm -hmm. um, that's hard as an entrepreneur. It's right? very especially, hard. Especially, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, especially as a as a one woman show. Yeah, um, but I I uh, I guess at that point I did actually after going back to work immediately. I think it was three or four months later, I thought, well, there was a culmination of things where we had to move kitchen spaces. So we were kind of a homeless ice cream company. I didn't have anywhere to produce the product. Mm -hmm. I knew I was still, I was just finishing fundraising. So all of this happened in the middle of, actually in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign, which was a very public thing, and fundraising and still running the business. Um, so after a few months, I hadn't closed my financing round and I said, I'm going to stop running the membership for a couple months. I'm just going to tell members, sorry, <laughs> like we'll be back, you know, even if I lose some of them, that's okay. But I knew personally that I couldn't continue to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. I needed to raise some money to move into a new space. We didn't even have somewhere to produce. We were a homeless ice cream company. Um, and I needed to bring more people on because I couldn't continue to do it by myself. And so I did take that time. We did fundraise. And then everything turned out well. So you're coming back up the sign curve <laughs> that's now. That's right. That's <laughs> right. After making an incredibly hard decision to yeah. say, yeah. you know, everyone out here wants some ice cream, but we need, to get our, we need to get our story straight before we kind of go back out. Totally. So talk about what it's like coming back up the sign curve and what happens next. Oh, it was glorious. <laughs> um, it's funny. The clouds parted. <laughs> yeah, they yes. did. We, again, um, so after I took some time off, another serendipitous thing happened for me where I happened to meet this woman who owned an ice cream company um, in Carroll Gardens. And we just sat and chatted one day. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to build out my own production facility. I imagine that it would be more factory-like, probably somewhere maybe in Red Hook or the Bronx or something. And then she said, well, I own an ice cream shop, um, but I think I want to close it down. And if you're interested in taking over my space, you can have it. And it was, it was <laughs> like... Um, and it was in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, which is where our shop is currently. Mm -hmm. And it's like walking into a cafe and someone saying, oh, you want to own a cafe? Here are the keys. Everything's wow. set up for you. Everything's in place. And by the way, here are my two best employees. They want to work for you now. And it, it really worked itself out well. That's incredible. Yeah. 
And at this point, then, how many customers do you have? How many flavors do you have? Give us a sense of the scale of the business at this point in time. So we're still small. We are just running a membership service locally. We don't ship yet. But I just ran a Kickstarter campaign in order to start shipping nationally. So we did dabble in a little bit of that with fulfilling the gifts, the Kickstarter gifts. Um, I don't remember how many members. It was uh, like 400 maybe or 500 or something just in the New York City area. That's a lot of hand deliveries. Again, yes. I'm making all the ice cream for them personally on a monthly basis. And at this point, I do have delivery drivers who will meet on a monthly basis who work with me. Um, But I still am doing a number of the deliveries myself. Um, So, yeah. So that was at that point. Um, so you've crafted this brand at this point where you have this exclusive membership club. It's all local ingredients. It's all, you know, hand-delivered. It sounds like a pretty luxurious brand. Was that something that you set out to do? Or how did, how did that, you know, how were you thinking about it using your Scott, Scott Galloway glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, hi, Scott. Um, <laughs> Shout out. Shout, Shout out. Uh, it is. I, I did set out to create... Um, a special brand. When I launched Milkmaid, uh, we were the ar- the start of the artisanal food movement. We were one of the first businesses. So there was a lot of inbound interest, including from Whole Foods and various places where we could have had our product on the shelves. I didn't pursue that because, A, I, I didn't know how to do it, <laughs> number one. Two, um, I knew that it would cut my margin, and I was just a tiny producer, and there's no way I could have survived with... Um, that low of margins. And then also, I didn't like what I was buying from supermarkets. And there is a reason for that, because with ice cream, um, there's such a long distribution chain, and ice cream melts. And so you have to chalk it full of gums and stabilizers in order for it to maintain its quality and consistency while going from A to B to C, and then ending up on a shelf and then in your home. I didn't like the taste of the products that had that stuff in them. Um, I didn't want mine to. I wanted it to be as fresh and real as I could make it. And so I never pursued that path. And I wanted the experience of Milkmaid to be more special than just checking out your local supermarket where things may or may not be stocked and I don't have control over it. Um, I like the idea of not compromising on your values when talking about your company and uh, the brand that you're building. Um, I imagine at this point in time as you're raising capital and you're figuring out what direction you're going to go, you're getting pulled into a lot of different directions. How do you maintain your North Star as an entrepreneur of the things that you want to do and accomplish? It's interesting that when I, in 2009, with my friends, we sat and wrote out what are the things that we want um, Milkmaid to be? What are the main points? And kind of like, what's the hierarchy of of how we're going to build this business? Is it local? Is it um, high quality? You know, is it always going to be hand-delivered? And kind of looked at this list of what are our core values, and they haven't changed at all. And it's been now nine years. Um, So even then, I knew that I made a superior product. I mean, that helps because (laughs) if you have these core values and then you don't really have a good product and nobody appreciates it, then, okay, you don't really have a business. But we were lucky because it turned out I made pretty mean pint. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Understatement (laughs) again. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, and that people do value these these values that we also value three times. Um, And so we were able to stick with that throughout um, acquiring customers, throughout acquiring investors, and, you know, continuing to grow the business even nine years later. One of the things I liked when I was browsing your website was the Milkmaid Manifesto. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it talks exactly uh, about the things that you that you mentioned. Um, so one of the things um, that we also want to touch on is you had another stroke in 2016. So you've kind of serendipitously rose to the top. Uh, you now have your own store uh, and you're producing and you're going through that whole process. What happens next? Then it all fell apart. <laughs> Back down the curve. Back down the sign curve. Um, it didn't quite fall apart. But yes, I had another stroke in the summer of 2016. It happened right before summer started. It was the worst timing. Um, we had opened this storefront in 2015. So we had a great summer. It was um, building up our presence in the neighborhood. Um, I had planned on on shipping. Actually, I had re- I had launched shipping at the beginning of that year of 2016. That's right. I forget. Um, I had launched shipping um, in the tri-state area at the beginning of 2016 for members, and then I I had the stroke. Um, I still was such a small shop, a small a very small operation where it was myself and one other person making the product, and then we had we had scoopers and whatnot at the store, and we had delivery people, um, but I was still really running the show. So this stroke was very, very similar to the first. I again was hospitalized. I didn't um, see the same lasting effects that I did in the first. They were more fleeting, um, but I knew it was a stroke. And what this caused was, um, again, I was physically fine afterwards, but when I had this one, then the thought of the cause for the first one was out the window, and we didn't know why I was having these strokes. Mm-hmm. I'm a young, healthy 30, uh, what was I, 33 at the time or 32, um, early 30s, and uh, we there was no evidence for why I was having these strokes. So I spent my entire summer of 2016 uh, what I called as instead of CEO of Milkmaid, I was CEO of my health, where I um, went to numerous different doctors, saw specialists, had numerous different um, procedures done to try to figure out what the cause of this. And that really took me away from my business. I couldn't run Milkmaid. We halted the membership at the time, um, refunded all the, any money that we had for that, and said, initially it was like, oh, we'll, we'll halt the membership for a month thinking, well, maybe it would only be the time that I'm in the hospital and that's it. And then it became indefinitely because at that point I did not know how long this was going to take, if I would be able to come back to Milkmaid, if Milkmaid would survive throughout this process of me not being there and refunding everyone's money and all this. Um, We kept the shop open that summer just because, man, it had just, you know, summer had just started 
And um, but there were some days where we didn't have any ice cream. So, okay, we put a note on the door and say, sorry, no ice cream today. Or we had a few flavors when normally we had numerous flavors. We have we carry 16 in the shop at all times. Um, So, yeah, that was that was a sad time. That was a low point for me um, and for Milkmaid, obviously. At the end of the summer, um, I did figure out what was wrong with me. That was great. Um, the cause of my stroke was this thing called a PFO. It's a hole in the heart. It is not abnormal. About a quarter of all people have this. Normally, it is innocuous. Um, it is how our bodies develop in utero, where you have this hole in the chambers of the heart. When you're born, typically the lungs take over. The hole closes on its own. But it doesn't always. Um, but again, about a quarter of all people have it, and it doesn't really affect them. But for some, it can allow a clot to form or it can allow a clot to pass through the hole and go to the brain, which probably happened for me. Mm. So I had that closed. It was just a small procedure. Um, And that was the end of my investigation over the summer and um, the end of the summer. And at the time, um, I decided to close the shop. It was we're going into the winter Um, We were no longer running the membership service, and um, so I figured now's a good time to to break and Mm -hmm. kind of figure out what's going to happen next, Um, and should I continue with Milkmaid. At that point, I was done. That was one of the moments that I was like, you know what? No, I'm I'm done here. I thought it was a sign. You know, I'd had two strokes within this six years of running this business, like Mm -hmm. someone's telling me, get out. Um, So yeah, at that that point, that was 2016 September, where we said, okay, we're going to close the shop. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know uh, since having your strokes that you've been a bit of an advocate. Uh, You've published a few articles. uh, You've given some speeches. Um, of which we will share with this episode for our viewers uh, or our listeners back home. And I'm curious, you know, in these conversations that you have with folks, what is something that we should all be aware of in terms of stroke awareness and things that we can do in our lives and, you know, thinking of our family members and and whatnot in the work that you do? Thank you for asking. Um, We actually have a card at the shop that is a little ice cream cone showing what the symptoms of stroke are. Um, Some people come in and look at it and say, ice cream causes stroke? And I'm like, no, read the card, people. Um, So the biggest thing with stroke is um, it happens to anyone at any time. And no matter young or old, for me, there was a, um, it seemed like there was a stigma about being young and having stroke. And that um, most people don't think for a young person that, that you can have a stroke. So, therefore, often the symptoms are overlooked or they're attributed to, oh, you just have a migraine or um, vertigo or something like this. And so what I strive to do is educate about what the symptoms of stroke are. Um, There is an acronym called FAST, and it is facial drooping, where if you are asked to smile, typically half of your face doesn't respond. Mm -hmm. Um, arm, where one side of your arm goes numb. That was in my case, where suddenly I couldn't control it at all. It was like this dead arm. Speech, where your speech becomes slurred or you can't quite get the words out. And then the T stands for time, which is it's time to get to the ER. 
So, so that's that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that and being an advocate, thank uh, you. especially <laughs> on this podcast. So um, we want to kind of wrap this up with where is the business today, right? We are staring into the entrepreneurial abyss saying we don't know if this thing is going to come back. It's been, you know, quite a both a personal and, you know, financial ride with the business. How do you kind of rise from the ashes? Well, we're on the top of the sign curve now. <laughs> this is a roller coaster. <laughs> I'm like sweating over here. <laughs> um, so with the help of friends and family, I brought in a little bit of um, angel money in order to relaunch the business last year. Another serendipitous thing is um, these two girls who reminded me of myself eight years prior came to me and wanted to seek advice about their um, burgeoning ice cream business. I told them, I told them straight, I said, get out now. (laughs) 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 Don't even try. (laughs) Um, And they actually rented my um, production space from me while we were closed down, um, just intermittently making ice cream for events and stuff like that. Um, You're passing on the lineage. I was kind of, yeah. And what ended up happening is they said, you know, we want to join you. If you're going to relaunch Milkmaid, we'd like to join you um, in doing that. And I will say I kind of faked it for a while where I was like, okay, yeah, I I will restart it and let's do this. And so during the off season um, over the winter of 2016 going into 17, we worked together. We met on a weekly basis. I wasn't paying them anything. It was just, hey, we all want to do this. And really, they are the ones that kind of got me back in the game of thinking about this. And it was more that, oh, I have the scheduled meeting with them. I guess I, I can't show up without anything, you know. Um, so we together kind of put the plan together for re- relaunch. And last year, right before summer, relaunched. Um, one of them came on full time with me and now works, works at Milkmaid. She's kind of the right hand, right hand gal. And, um, and then the other, she pursued her own career again, (laughs) had a real job. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so with her, we relaunched and I've been able to now bring on pastry chefs, um, a production manager. I don't have to work in the kitchen anymore, which is great. Um, and I still do help develop recipes and whatnot. And we basically relaunched the store last year. We had our second summer since relaunch this year, and it's better than ever. We recently launched national shipping, um, which is not without its, its hiccups, but, um, but it's great. It's something that I've been striving to do since we launched the business in 2009, where we had people on a wait list all over the country saying, send me your ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'll pay anything. <laughs> what advice would you have for women entrepreneurs when you think about your journey and the mentorship that you've been able to have and pass on? You know, What lessons would you pass forward to our listeners back home? One thing I didn't do, and I I wish I had, but it never came to me, was find a mentor. Um, I really haven't had any mentors, and I haven't seen the mm, the help that I I see out there of women helping women, um, older or older more seasoned women helping other women. I haven't seen that personally. I know it exists. It just hasn't quite come to me. Um, but I think seek that out. 
is one thing because I know that it is of value. Um, I have found that mentorship through other friends, through my husband now who also is an entrepreneur, um, that, that's been what has helped me. Um, but yeah, I think that specifically for women, um, it is something to seek out. And I mean, it seems like you do, you've done that with the two people that you've taken on. Yeah, I'm, I'm you're living kind of the advice that I'm you. I'm trying to be that person for other people. I always will, if someone reaches out who, um, is seeking advice about growing a business or whatnot, then I always help them. I will always talk with someone and answer questions for them. Amazing. And, you know, Justin and I are so lucky today because you brought in a few flavors for us to I try. Did. Yes. And I was wondering if you could explain the flavors that you brought into the studio today, why you did that, and maybe some any news that you may have on new flavors that you're excited about. Great. Um, yes, I brought two flavors in. One is called Fine Vanilla. It is our vanilla ice cream. Um, I think that vanilla is a great way to judge different ice cream companies and ice cream shops, so that's uh, number one. It is called Fine Vanilla because um, I had said we'd never make a vanilla ice cream, but when I opened the ice cream shop, we're in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, there's a lot of families, there's a lot of kids, and people would come in and say, well, where is your vanilla? And for a long time, I said, well, we don't make one. That's not what we do. We make really unique flavors, and we have other options other than vanilla. And they kept asking, and then f one day I said, fine, here's your vanilla. <laughs> 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 so it's like literally it's fine, comma, vanilla, but we say... Everything is a pun. Yeah. <laughs> it works out that way. That's what you can do when you have an ice cream business, I guess, a whimsical, fun thing. Um, but we say it is truly a fine vanilla indeed. And it's delicious, by the way. Great. Thank you. And then the second flavor is one of our seasonal flavors. At the shop, we carry 16 flavors at all times. Ten of them are signature. They are um, kind of our ten best different flavor profiles. And then we have six seasonal ones that rotate on a monthly basis. Typically, they are built around a theme, and this month's theme is Thanksgiving. So we have one that um, I brought is sweet potato casserole. It is a sweet potato spiced ice cream with torched marshmallow that we make in-house and a cinnamon crumble. And it is delicious. Again, you'll ne you'll be hard-pressed to hear Justin be silent for so long because he's got a ton of ice cream in his mouth. It's fantastic. So um, lastly, where can our listeners find out more about your brand? Um, MilkmaidIceCream.com is our website. We update our flavors on there, and you can read about the Milkmaid Manifesto, as you mentioned. It is a new site, so we haven't thrown everything up on there yet. Um, we also have an Instagram. It is uh, at Milkmaid, M-I-L-K-M-A-D-E, like made from milk. And on there, we uh, have glamour shots of the ice cream. We show kind of what we're making on a daily basis. It's a lot of behind the scenes of how we create the flavors, so that's fun. Sliding into your DMs now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diana, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, this is going to be a great case to go over in Glen Oaken's class one day. Completely agreed. From Hi. rocks to hair bows <laughs> to ice cream, <laughs> the ups and downs along the way. We really appreciate your inspirational story. Thank you. I heard that he did something with Milkmaid. I haven't heard I haven't asked him personally, but there is a case study for Milkmaid at, at Stern or at the, with a law professor. 
Is that right? Yeah. Oh. Lis- listeners, do some research for us. Yeah. I'm taking this class in about two <laughs> hours. I'll, I'll yeah. find out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you.